0: You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. We're going to go in and have a look at God's word this morning, brothers and sisters. You know, I want to talk this morning about being threatened. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. But I've been threatened. Has anybody here ever been threatened in in this room? Yep. Been threatened in different ways, and we automatically jump to the idea that when we're threatened, we're threatened physically. But of course, being threatened physically is only one of the plethora of ways in which we can be threatened. Now you might say, I'm a really big, tough guy. I'm a hard man. You know, nobody threatens me. Yeah, well, okay. If you haven't been threatened before now in your life, and you're not being threatened now, mark my words, You will, at some point in your life, be threatened and threats take different forms and different shapes. We can be threatened physically with physical harm and physical violence. We can have a health threat that comes to us when we get a bad test or or we can have a health threat even at the moment, for instance, in in the middle of a global pandemic, we can have a health threat that can continually hang over us. We can experience economic threats. Threats to our livelihood, to our work situation, or to our career. We can have threats that happen to our tenancies. You know, if you're renting a house somewhere, maybe the landlord wants to sell, maybe you're under threat today, or a threat that you're going to get a, a, a rent rise, or maybe you're not able to make mortgage payments at the moment and you're afraid that you're not going to be able to pay the house. Maybe not, no, maybe in the future, maybe that threat is far in the distance. Maybe the dog of threat that you hear barking is well up the road, yet. We can have social threats, we can be threatened socially, in our friendships we can run into trouble, they can run into a rupture, we can have a rupture in our marriages, in our friendships, ruptures between parents and children, children and parents. We can experience those kind of fears, those types of threats and anxieties in our lives. We can also suffer in other ways. We can suffer the threat that we won't have our longings fulfilled, that the child or, or the husband or wife that we long for isn't going to be fulfilled. Maybe we could have that threat hanging over. So maybe sometimes we tend to take things into our own hands and sort things out ourselves. It's the world's advice, isn't it? It's what we do. Maybe just simply this, there's something in the future that is threatening. The future is a threatening thing. Or maybe, just maybe, for anybody who's got a past, and by the way, we all have a past. Anybody here, not have got a past, I've got a past. If you've got a past, put your hand up if you've got a past. You know what I mean by a past. Maybe the threat is that the past is going to catch up with you. Maybe that's the threat. Well, I'm going to look this morning at a passage of scripture that I believe the Lord has put out of my heart and has been speaking to me through since the last month or two. I've been reading around this passage and around these themes for the last couple of months and I'm going to go back in time Today, back to the year 701 BC. So the events we're going to look at today happened 2,700 years ago, but they have never been so relevant. The Bible is always relevant to today. Would anyone say amen? We're together in this, aren't we? The Bible is relevant for today. It never becomes a dusty old book as some people would like to assume that it is or assume that it becomes. It is always relevant. The stories we're going to read today, or the story we're going to read today, is a very important story, and the reason we know that it's important is because it is recorded not once, not twice, but three times in the Old Testament. This particular story is told with slight differences in the narrative and slightly different emphasis points. But the story is basically told in three places. It's told first of all in 2 Kings chapter 18 to 19. It's also told in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And what we're going to be looking at today, the story is being told in Isaiah chapter 36 and chapter 37. Though the narratives are slightly different, the details are all exactly the same. When we read something shows up in the scriptures three times like this, in an almost word for word manner, it means that God is saying something to us. This is what he's saying. He's saying pay attention. Attention when you see repetition in the scriptures, it means that God really wants us to pay attention. There was no bold, there was a bold lettering, there was no underlining, there was no italicizing or changing the colours of the letters in the scriptures. The way that they underlined, made things bold, and italicized them was by repeating the same thing several times. So the story we're going to look at today, I'm going to be looking specifically at Isaiah chapter 36. And I want to just lay some of the background. So In around the year 701 BC, Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian Empire, the son of Sargon II, invaded what is now the land of Israel, what was then the land of Israel, invaded the land of Israel and began to take all the cities and all the towns. He ravaged, raped, pillaged, and plundered his army all the way through the country until we were getting down to this last little tiny patch of land that was left, and the people in it were completely surrounded. During his attempt, during his invasion, Sennacherib had actually taken 200,000 people, prisoners. So when we look at the story, I want you to look at being, what was it like to be in the situation we're going to look at? Because the Bible stories only work if we put ourselves into them and not read them as some distant narrative. So you're in the city of Jerusalem, which we'll get to in a second, and you hear that your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, your nephews, and your nieces have been murdered in war or have been taken captive and captive back off to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, And you know that if things continue as they are, you're next. You know that houses have been knocked to rubble. You know that the crops have been stolen. The vineyards and the outgrowths have been ruined by this invading army. You know that this army is unstoppable. No army has been able to stand up against it now. And that's the situation you face. And you are about to become very, very destitute. There is no water in your city. There is no food in your city. You are surrounded by a violent and brutal army under the field commander of Senehariv, king of Assyria. And that's the reality you face. So when we read this story, it's not a story. It's a real and present danger to the people who were in that story. And the only way it works is if we put ourselves into that story. Now sometimes if you watch news, or you watch a news channel, Elman and I love to watch the news, we kind of a bit of a news junkies, we like watching the news. Sometimes when they put on a report, they'll say, The contents of this report may have some disturbing scenes from the outset. And in a strange way you kind of sit up and go, well this is going to be interesting. The contents of this story has disturbing comments and disturbing scenes from the outset. So when we read it today, this is God's word, brothers and sisters, it isn't all haps, angels, clothes, pastures of green and lambs. It is also very real, very gritty, and sometimes very, very brutal. But it is still God's Word, and it's there to teach us something. Would anyone say amen? Amen. The lessons that we come through, through all of this, whatever you hear me say today, I want you to hear what God would say to you today. Whatever threatens you, whatever you have faced, are facing, or will face, God wants to say this to you. Trust me. Trust me. That's what God wants to say to you. If you go out of here today and you do it, all you hear from now the on trust me. Okay? Be with me? No, trust me. Trust the Lord. Just in case you're wondering. Like I was saying, trust me out there. No, trust me is what the Lord would say to you. So here's the situation. Here is the people of Jerusalem trapped in this city. What can we learn from this? We look at the, we're going to look at the story and see what we can learn from our own lives and for our own experiences. So here they are. They're trapped. In actual fact, here from the annals of Sennacherib, son of Stargon II is written. This uncovered annal. Literally a clay plate with these words from the This is what it says. It says, Hezekiah himself, the king at the time. Hezekiah himself I he shut up in his in Jerusalem, in his capital city, like a bird in a cage, building towers around the city to hem him in, and raising banks of earth against the gates to prevent his escape. They were trapped. I don't know, have you ever been trapped, or felt trapped in a situation? Whatever way you felt trapped, it was nothing compared to the way that these guys were trapped. They literally were trapped and their lives depended on what would happen next. Whatever we face, it pales into insignificance to the real, clear and present danger that these people face. May God bless us as we read his words and draw his lessons from it for our hearts and for our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. God's people say, Amen. Isaiah chapter 36 opens like this. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, let me just say this. When you read it, you might hear some preachers from the United States of America saying, Senator. <laughs> Senator, the king of Syria. It's not Senator, it's pronounced Sennacherib. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a bit <laughs> angrier, isn't it? Yeah. Senator sounds like he's like a gentle angel. Sennacherib, The son of sin is literally what it means. Sennacherib. The king of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. And then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. You live in Jerusalem. Imagine you live in Jerusalem. The field commander said this. Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? On what are you basing this confidence of yours, the Lord? You know, sometimes questions are stronger than statements. at get into our hearts and minds, are not they? Jesus was always asking questions. He's I mean, I've spoken on it so many times before. Jesus was always asking questions. And in this, a question is asked that is being asked of us today on what are you basing this confidence of yours for your life? Are you basing it on your abilities, your strength, your temperament, your personality, your education, your experience, your upbringing? Is that what you're basing your confidence on? Is your confidence in the Lord? On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? And the question that he asks on what are you basing this confidence of yours? I would ask you this morning, prophetically, what are you basing your confidence on? And he goes on to say, and he goes on. And what he does is he begins to use some tactics that are very familiar in warfare, believe it or not. And do you know what? They're also the same tactics that your enemy, the devil, and his minions use against you. Right. They are the things that undermine you, are the things that he uses in this situation. The enemy is not very creative. There is nothing new under the sun. The first thing he does is he begins to sow doubt and confusion. Our situations blow up in our faces. We face a threat whether it is to our tenancy or to our relationships or to our health. And the first thing that happens is doubt and confusion begins to kick in. Here is what the Rab Sha'ke, the field commander said. He said, look down. Are you depending on Egypt? I know you're depending on Egypt, he says. That splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans in it, such as Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. I know you're leaning on Egypt. And when you read Egypt in the Bible, it basically is a shadow or a type for the world's ways and the world's system. Brothers and sisters, if we lean on the the world's ways of doing things, if we lean on the world's system of doing things, we will end up with splinters in our hands. That will give way underneath us. It will not give us the strength we need to face the challenges that we face as faithful people of God. And there's a little drop of truth in it because they knew that they were depending on Pharaoh. They knew that they were depending on Egypt. So the confusion and the doubt begins to sow in. And then he continues on. He says, but if you say we are depending on God, isn't he the one whose high places that Hezekiah removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? I mean, is, is, is is that who you're depending on? When situations happen in our lives, we can begin to question ourselves and go, Well, what did I do wrong? How did I overstep the mark? And do you know sometimes our enemy, the devil, will begin to say to you, Yeah, you know you've offended God. I
1: don't know, has anything
0: ever gone wrong in your life that you said, Lord, what did I do to cause this to happen? Why has this situation come upon me? How have I sinned or how have I overstepped the mark? Or how have I gone wrong that this situation has happened? To me, that confusion, that doubt can begin to creep in. He goes on to say this. He says, furthermore, he says, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? He says, for goodness sake, it was the Lord himself who told me to march against it and to destroy it. Another trick of your enemy. That first sowing of doubt and confusion in our mind. Maybe this situation, bad as it is, is what God wants for my life. Maybe this mess I've made that this is God's plan. It isn't. Maybe this situation that I'm facing and this threat that I'm facing is what God wants to face. It isn't. Sometimes our enemy goes in and begins to sow doubt and begins to sow confusion in our mind about what it is that we've done or where we're going or how this situation happened and what God has to do about it. It's a masterstroke of the enemy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The enemy, all he has to do is get you thinking wrongly about God, about others, or about yourself, and you'll do the rest. you do the rest in your mind do the rest. So his first thing is to sow confusion and to sow doubt. What do we do when we face confusion and doubt? We return to God. We go back to him, we go back to his plans, and we go back to his purposes. That's what we do. That's the first thing the enemy will do. He will sow doubt. He'll sow confusion into your mind. The second thing he'll do is he will wage psychological warfare. And so here we have this guy, the field commander, begins to wage psychological warfare against the people of the city of Jerusalem. Remember, they're all trapped up like a bird in a cage, trapped, can't get up, can't go anywhere. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, Then Eli- Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Slow down a second, who are these guys? Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah? These are the representatives of King Hezekiah who went out to speak with the field commander. They said to him, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. What a dreadful mistake to make. What a dreadful mistake to make. He said, look, we don't want the people to hear this. So would you mind speaking Aramaic? Aramaic was the language of empire. It was the language of diplomacy at the time. That's the way to put it. It was the language that was spoken throughout the empires of the Middle East at the time, so they could all understand each other. But the local language was Hebrew. And all they did was give a great idea to the field commander, who said, oh, the people can't understand me. Oh, yes, let me talk to the people as well. And he begins to wage his psychological warfare. Let me tell you something.
1: When the enemy
0: threatens you, when you are threatened, it will always be in a language that you understand. It will always be in a language that you can clearly comprehend. So you're not gonna be threatened by, you're not gonna be threatened by the blocking of the Suez Canal. So if you are concerned, oh, the Suez Canal is going to be blocked again, you, you shouldn't be worried about that. The enemy's not going to threaten you with, with that. He's not going to threaten you with the fact that, that um, Zinedine Zidane is about to resign as the manager of Real Madrid, for instance. He's not, he's not going to do that. If you are worried about that, you shouldn't be, okay? Just, just on the card, that's important. It, stop up. it doesn't really matter. It's not important. It's not important. He will always speak to us about things that matter to us. So if the enemy wants to get in and threaten me, he'll do it via my children via my circumstances, via my situation. He'll get in and he'll begin to threaten me with something that's really important to me. If you see something that that being threatened, that's, it's got the hallmark of the enemy all over it. Pay attention to it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people in the wall. Remember that warning I gave to you about the news at the start? Here's where it comes in. He goes on to say, but the commander replied, was it only to your master that my master sent me to say these things? And not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor Michael. It's a lovely word that I take away today. What a warning. You're trapped in the city. No water. No food. If you don't surrender, guess what we're having? For dinner tonight, honey. And it ain't chicken. He says, well, is it wasn't only to you that I was sent, but to the people who are going to experience this. Now, I don't know about everybody's experience here, but I doubt very much anybody has ever been brought to that level of starvation and pursed by their circumstances. And I know you might go, well, that's a bit brilliant. I didn't come to church to hear that. But this was the real and serious and very present danger to these people and that was the language that was spoken to them and the language that they understood that this is the future unless you come out and you surrender to me. The psychological warfare was being upped continually. This was getting inside their heads. It was getting inside their heads, brothers and sisters. They couldn't escape this thought. It was so visceral. It was so vivid. It was so real. They could not escape it. This is what's coming for you. Now, it may not be that that comes to your mind, but you know sometimes, brothers and sisters, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, I'm not prepared for this, I'm not prepared. my job is on the line, I don't know what situation is gonna happen with my wife. I don't know if this relationship is ever gonna be properly repaired or, re- or healed or restored. That's the stuff that goes through our minds. We leap to the worst possible com- conclusion and that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to take your eyes off the Lord and place them on your circumstance. Place them on the threat. He goes on to say then the commander shouted and called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king of Assyria. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. He goes on to say, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't to Hezekiah. This is what the field commander showed him. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he says the Lord will deliver you. Don't listen when he tells you to trust the Lord. Don't listen to him. And that's what the enemy would say to you. Don't listen to the word of God. Because what Hezekiah was saying was true. Because Hezekiah had listened to the promises of God. That the city of Jerusalem would not be handed over. That's when Hezekiah was saying, "Lads, the Lord's not going to let this happen to us. He's not going to let this happen to us. And this night he was saying, don't listen to him. You are going to be handed over. Your enemy, the devil, does not want you to listen to what God would say about your circumstances. Your enemy, the devil, doesn't want to, you to listen to God's provision, God's protection, God's presence, God's providence in your life. providence, there's an old word that God has provided well in advance. For your situations and circumstances. Do you believe it, brothers and sisters? Does anybody here say the Lord is my shepherd? Say the Lord is my shepherd? Do one? What's the next thing? I I shall not want. Would anyone say Amen? Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Don't listen to the lies and the threats of your mind, or of the enemy, or of the world of your circumstances. The Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. And little did the field commander know, but that he was actually, and this is the beauty of it, he was actually giving them a clue, and giving them a hint. And do you know how I know that? Because when you read the narrative, When you actually go through it and when you study it you discover that there's two Hebrew words are used here continually by the field commander. The word trust is used seven times in this passage. Trust is in Isaiah 36, 4, 5, 6, 7 and 9. That word is used, trust is used. So it's almost like they're getting a subliminal message goes on to say the word delivers you seven times in this passage in 36 verses 14 50 18 19 and 20 the word delivered the hebrew word for trust the hebrew word for deliver is used seven times each in this so little did he know when he was giving them a subliminal the message to trust the lord that he will deliver you he didn't even know it brothers and sisters when we read the bible it is important to read the lines would anyone say amen? amen? Amen. But you know, can I say it here? It's important to read between the lines too. You need to read for what is included and excluded. You need to pay attention to read in between the lines. Here was the hint all along, despite the enemy's first attempt at doubt, confusion. Then his, then his attempt, and then, then his second attempt at psychological warfare. He has to up his game even further. So he begins to make the third attempt which is false promises. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you know when you get that sense that you really want to suck somebody in the mouth? It's a false promise. When you say, I'm going to give apart that person some of my mind, it's a false promise. When you get the sense that you should take things into your own hands, it's a false promise. Here was the enemy's false promise. This is what the king of Assyria says. He says, make peace with me and come out to me and then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree. And you drink water, not your own. water, not your own. from your own cistern. You love know fruit, not excrement. You love know fruit and you love know water. And he goes on to say, until I come and take you to a land like your own. A land of grain and new wine. A land of bread and a land of vineyards. It's going to be wonderful and we're going to play violins and we're going to dance in the meadows. It's all going to be beautiful. It was a lie. It was a lie. And it was a false promise, and we shouldn't fall for them, brothers and sisters. You know, I, I like it what Matthew Henry says this. He says, He says, When Satan would tempt the people of God from trusting in him, he does so by insinuating that giving in would make their situation better. Pro- promising freedom, when in reality, them to captivity and to slavery. If they opened the gates, if they stopped trusting the Lord, it wasn't bread and water and vines and fig trees and wheat and wine that they were going to get. It was slavery and it was captivity. It was a lie. Do you know when we think we're going to take matters into our own hands and so we listen to the threats, whether they're live, no, have been live in the past they're live for the future? When we listen to it and we attempt to take things into our own hands, we get the false promise of satisfaction. We get the false promise that things are going to be better. They're not. When we give way to the enemy, slavery and captivity is what's waiting for us, brothers and sisters. He's very serious. He's going to be lovely sunny morning, like, I want to come in for a happy message? Brothers and sisters, trust me, it's a happy message. It's a happy message. Trust me, we we'll get there. What's the last thing he does? Propaganda propaganda. The enemies of God's people have always been marching with propaganda. This is what he goes on to say. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Where are the gods of Shep Arvean? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Where are the gods of other people? Have they rescued you, rescued me, people from my hand? Has anybody been able to do this? No army can stand up against the army of Assyria. No commander can command against the armies of Syria. No one can stand up against Sennacherib uh, or his Arab No one can stand against the armies, the mighty armies of Assyria. Have any of them been able to rescue from my hands? And here he goes on to say, says, Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? No, you're in the city. You know the evidence says that the gods of Samaria, of Hamath, of Anatol, and all the surrounding nations haven't been able to rescue the people. And you go, maybe we're next. And there's no media about the abode. There's an army. You get up in the morning, look over the wall. There's an army. There's no water. There's no food. And this man stands and makes this boast. Makes this promise. Sells this propaganda. Messes with your head. And then he makes a final and fatal mistake. And it's the last thing we hear from the rab From the field commander of Sederim. The last thing we hear. This is what he says. He says, how then can the Lord... Deliver Jerusalem from my hand. The Lord seemed to be quite willing to put up with the barricade and the threats and the saber rattling until this question is asked How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He oversteps the mark, he oversteps the mark and challenges God Himself to rescue the very thing that he wanted to do. And the last verse of it says this People said nothing and remained silent because the king had commanded, Do not answer him. Do not answer him. Do not answer him. I want to say to you today that this is prophetic, whether you're upstairs in the atrium or down here in the center, whether you're out there on Instagram or Facebook or maybe listening later on podcast or on YouTube. As I was preparing this, the Lord spoke to me and said, there's people in here today coming into this church today or listening online today and their experiences, they have been threatened. I think it's by a relative. Somebody has threatened you and has threatened your circumstance and threatened your situation and has made threats against you maybe of a legal kind maybe of a a normal kind maybe of a financial kind I don't know but this is what the Lord would say to you do not answer him do not answer let God be your defender would anyone say amen Amen. because no weapon that's formed against you will prosper you are in God's hands would anyone say amen? amen do not answer him But you know, the situation that the Israelites found themselves in, the Lord had already spoken to them about the way out of this. And this is the way out of our threats and our situations and our circumstances. And it's never been any different, really. The solution or the prescription has always been the same. And here Isaiah delivers the prescription some chapters earlier, in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. And many of you will know it. And what is it? It's this. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, listen he says, only in returning to me, resting in me, will you be saved. In quietness and in confidence is your strength. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. That was a it was that simple. God gave them a simple formula. But you know, what? the sad riposte on this, at the end of this verse, and it's one of the saddest passages in the scripture actually, and it happens lots of times in the prophets actually, it happens lots of times in Jeremiah and Isaiah. We know this part of the verse, I bet you loads of people in this room know this verse. I've heard it, I've heard this verse since 1986 when I became a Christian. Fabulous verse, but the last part of the verse is rarely ever quoted, and this is what it says. But you, Would have none of it. They would not return. They would not rest. They would not be quiet. They would not have confidence in God. He said you would have none of it. And so often brothers and sisters. This is the awful, awful truth. That sometimes we have to face in our lives. The awful, awful truth. Is that we bring situations upon ourselves. And we put ourselves in situations. By our decisions and our choices. And by the moves that we make. And by the things that we say, we put ourselves into those situations, and yet still the Lord would say, This is the way out of it. This is the way out. He gives a four-point. I give like a four-point, just as I finished. First one is return. What does return mean? It means to repent. Repent. For some reason the word repent can't be said without saying it this way. Repent! You have to show up repent because for some reason everybody's deaf man to repent. Return, he says, come back to me. Repent, repenting, brothers and sisters, believe it or not, is one of the best, most blessed, spiritually healthy things that you can do. Did you know that? That repenting sometimes means we come back into God's presence and we are restored. I love when we sang earlier. He knows my failings, he knows my failures, and still he loves me. Hallelujah. And when we return, we repent. You know, I had an argument with my wife many, many years ago, a long time ago now. It's like not recently, just in case you're wondering, right? So me and we had an argument. It's a, it's a good number of years, one well, too many years, more years than I can't remember. And she didn't talk to me for three days. Would you believe that? Oh. Nice, nice, nice. She nice, not nice, 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 nice. talk to me for two three days. Three days. i said, hi honey, silence. Nothing, I'm not talking to you. I said, yeah, she said. No, she didn't say that. But she didn't talk to me for three days. And I was really hurt by it. I was very, very wounded by it. She's in the room here right now so she can testify that this is true. Won't you, darling? Just um, so she didn't talk to me for three days. It was, mad, it was awful. We were a married couple. We were, married a couple of years, right? we were a year and a half, two years. So we were married. And three days it went on. And then after three days I realised something. I was wrong. It was me. I was wrong. My attitude was bad. My approach was just toxic. It wasn't nice. It was unpleasant. It was mean minded. It was awful. My wife was wrong and I was wrong. Brothers and sisters, or brothers, I should say to you, that's just a good way to get through your life very easily. My wife was right, I was wrong. Would any of the brothers say amen? Amen. Amen. Would any of the sisters say amen? Amen. Oh, much more cautious there with the girls, like, amen. My fella's always wrong. But you know, I said to her, after three days, I said, look, I gotta end this. I said, Darren, I'm sorry. I repent of what I said how oh, I behaved, um, and I'm still repenting, by the way, <laughs> but you know, it put things right immediately between us. Simply because I said, yeah, I'm going to change my way, change my direction. For some of you here this morning, you need to repent and return to God. To repent simply means to return. To repent means that you were going to Dublin and realized, oh no, I shouldn't go to Dublin, I need to go to Cork, and you go back to Cork. That's true repentance. Not going to Dublin, going to Cork, but I didn't say amen. Bad illustration, all right, all right, all right to repent simply means to return to God's ways. And the Lord said to him, just return to me. And the Lord is saying to some of you this morning, return to me. What's the next one? Resting. What does resting mean? Resting means not taking matters into your own hands and becoming frantic and becoming aggressive and going over the top and trying to resolve matters all the time yourself and trying to figure out all the mess yourself. Resting means accepting what God has said about you and about your situation and not over-energizing the situation with your panic. Rest, the Lord wants to say it to you this morning, rest in my promises about your future. Rest in my promises about my provision. Rest in my promises about, your, about my protection for you. Rest in my promises about my providence. You need to rest. Don't get stuck in a stupid fight with someone. Don't get stuck in a silly panic over something that God already has control of. Would anyone say amen? amen. You're very quiet. Well, maybe that's because you're obeying the third quietness. Quietness. What does quietness mean? Hello? It's not a secret. Sometimes we just need to stop talking and stop arguing and stop defending ourselves and stop mouthing off. To be quiet means not to be shouting or panicking. To be quiet means not to be declaring or insulting or threatening or barracking or speaking up. To be quiet in quietness. It's in the quietness that we make room for God to move. You see, when God moves in our situations, He gets the credit. More on that next week. When God moves in our situations, He's the one who gets the glory. Sometimes we have to be quiet. And that's a prophetic word this morning to some who are here. Be quiet. Let God do the speaking on your behalf. Amen? Amen. 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 Lastly, confidence. Having faith in God, the band will come over. Having faith in God. That's simply what confidence is. It means saying, yeah, I know this isn't great. I know this threat is there. Yeah, I know that this isn't the best of situations, but you know what? God has a plan. God will work it out. God will straighten out. I love it when he says, I write I, here back in, in Jameson, Pastor Road, the Bible commented and said, the enemies of God God's people cannot succeed against them unless they can shake their confidence in Him. Unless they can shake their confidence in God. The confidence isn't in you, the confidence is in God. And would anyone say amen. amen? We're going to pray in a second. Will you stand with me? I want to just show one last verse here. So I want to come back all the way to the start of this process and ask you the question that was asked of them. On what are you basing this confidence of yours on whom are you depending today, brothers and sisters? Whatever you face this coming week, this coming month, this coming season, I ask you on what are you basing the confidence with which you face the situations you will face? And I offer you this to you from Psalm 124, our help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Would anyone say amen. amen? The guys are going to lead us in the song. Um, this is how I fight my battles. We're going to sing in chorus. Then we're going to pray, and we'll close that. After that, John. It may, may look. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Well, stop, 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 stop. Try again. You can't hear yourself.
1: It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. we sing up? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you.
0: your hand with every eye closed. I see your hands. I see your hands in the room. God bless you. We're going to pray for that in a second. If today your prayer is, Lord, I need more confidence in you. I need to be able to trust you more for my situations and for my circumstances. If that's your prayer today. If it's your prayer to say, Lord, whatever I'm facing, Lord, let me have more confidence and more trust in you. And deliver me, to bring me through, to provide for me, to protect me in this situation. If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand? I'm going to invite you to raise the other hand with it, if you would. And we're going to sing. It may look like I'm surrounded. Hallelujah. I'm going to sing as such. As such. that they would find a home in you today. Would anyone say amen? Amen. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them, Lord, and they would sense you draw near, Lord, as they draw near to you, that you would draw near to them, Lord. We pray, Lord, for minds to be changed, directions and trajectories to be changed, and hats to be changed and restored in your presence today. In Jesus' mighty name of God's people, say, Amen. For those, Lord, who want to know more faith and more trust and more confidence in God their Savior, in their circumstances, Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that your hand would be upon them, Lord. I pray that their faith would be built up. Lord, I pray that they would look to your word and Lord, not fall for the confident promises of the enemy to bring matters into their own hands. Lord, I pray that instead of panicking, that they would know faith. Instead of having panic, that they would have peace. But then they would anyone say amen? amen. amen. Lord, instead of having trouble, that they would have trust in Jesus mighty. Can we raise our hands collectively, brothers and sisters, as we close in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you. Lord, your eye is on us all the time. Lord, I thank you that we are the apple of your eye and you never forget who we are, what we are, or where we are. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray today that as we go from this building today, Lord, into whatever we face today, tomorrow, this week, this month, or this coming season, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you, not on our circumstances, our eyes would be fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. I pray, Lord, that even this week, Lord, we would see miracles happen in our lives. Would anyone say amen? amen. amen. Lord, for those who need a miracle, Lord, I pray that they would see a miracle happen in their lives this week, a miracle of provision, our prevention, our providence, Lord. And I pray that we would be awake and aware to your Lord, I pray that nobody would have broken sleep this week, Lord, but that we would sleep the sleep of the just, knowing that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon us, smile upon us, and watch over us, and give us his peace in Jesus' mighty name and God's people said one last time. Yeah. God bless you brothers and Overrun. my apologies, we're running late at the start, so God bless you, our one-way system is operating out here, if you want to, you can leave out through this door, we're here next Sunday morning, our courtyard cafe is open, our breaking of bread is open, we're beginning again proper church next Sunday, God bless you, and go with Jesus.